Hi, P. How are you? Hold on. Should we not do the Welcome to the Trans Lobby podcast? Oh, for fuck's sake, go then. Hey, Piss Pigs. Welcome to the Trans Lobby podcast. I'm P. And I'm Jen. And, uh... <laughs> Hi, P. <laughs> This week, we are going to be watching, or we have already watched, the classic film from the 2000s called Transamerica. And what a classic it is. A true classic of contemporary American cinema. Hmm. How are you, P? I'm good, Jen. I've been to the cinema this week, not once, not thrice, but twice. Two times. Two times I went to the cinema. Wow. I, do you know how many times I've been to the cinema this week? <laughs> Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Zero times. We haven't all got cinema money like you, P, to just throw around at posh art house cinema some well, of us have to make due of like netflix or whatever you say art house cinema but my two experiences were very different the first so what was the, well first let's talk about the arty film that you saw what was your arty film well i wouldn't call it arty you're the one imposing that judgment call on it well I, it was a documentary wasn't it yeah it was a wonderful heartening documentary called the truffle hunter arty yeah, and and what and what country did it come from? It's an Italian documentary about men who love so their it had dogs subtitles, and hunt for truffles. Yeah. So it had subtitles. So it's an Italian documentary about truffles with subtitles. And you're saying that's not arty? Well, it's not about the truffles. It's about the men's relationship with their dogs, their relationship with the economic system <laughs> that they're finding. The film wasn't in. about the truffles. Mortality. It was about the dogs. It wasn't about the truffles. P. It was about the dogs they fucked along the way. Was it? Look, it was wonderful, and if I can give one recommendation, do they this fuck week, the dogs? Do they fuck the dogs? Tell me now. Look, it's an Italian art film. A certain amount of dog fucking is expected, but that's not the point. My big <laughs> takeaway was just that it was a wonderful film, and I think everyone should go see it. I saw it in the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin, which I don't even know if you'd describe as an art house cinema. It's an independent cinema, but they do a lot of fun stuff. They're showing. A summer of fun season programmed at the moment. They have like Sister Act, School of Rock, Clueless, you know, movies like that. It, everyone can enjoy. My other cinema so going other? experience, though, seeing as you didn't ask, was to see right, okay. Space Jam 2, A New Legacy, in a big filthy multiplex with my brother. Was it actually a new, like, you know, it's called A New Legacy. What does that mean? Like, well, like <laughs> I don't think the film even knows what that means. It's, it's maybe the most clearly overtly studio noted movie i have ever watched in my life like it feels like every line in the script was then noted by a studio executive and then noted by another studio executive before given on to another writer to draft again and it went through that cycle on repeat like a washing machine for a good 10 years before they came out with the final product it's so confused and so all over the place but having said that my brother and I agreed that neither of us were bored for a single minute, and we had an absolute blast. What was the best bit of it? I had a tango ice blast that I drank throughout. No, of the film. I think the best bit was how 
incongruent with the whole thing the Looney Tunes are. Because for as flawed as the original Space Jam film is, you can kind of see the novelty in the premise and the simplicity of it and sort of the appeal of that novelty. And the, there's an attempt made for, even though it's updated for the 90s, for the Looney Tunes to act as the Looney Tunes would in that situation. Whereas in Space Jam 2, they try to balance that with jarring sincerity. And there's a bit where Buzz, at the end, where Bugs Bunny kind of like sacrifices himself for the team and he makes this really earnest comment as he's kind of fading away about how like, you know, sacrifice is growth or something like that. I really laughed a lot. It was great. So what, Bugs Bunny is like a, like a, he dies at the end? He doesn't die, he kind of like fades away because it's in a simulation like video game. That's another confusing thing. They're not playing basketball, they're playing like video game basketball. So they're inside an algorithm, but the guy who is the algorithm, played by Don Cheadle, is the villain of the film, but he's also like the inventor of the algorithm. But then it's LeBron James's son is a video game designer, so it's his game that they're playing within... And there's all this confused father-son stuff with LeBron and his son. It's honestly one of the most batshit films I've ever seen in my life, and I can only recommend. I'll tell you one thing that's confused me a little bit about it is, like, from the advertising is, like, sometimes it's, like, 3D, and sometimes it's, like, 2D. Yeah. And sometimes it's, like, and then sometimes it's, like, the real world. Like, so there's a lot going on now. There's, like, another dimension that's been... Yeah, because in the first one, it's kind of, it's quite clearly delineated that they go down to where the Looney Tunes live. But even when Michael Jordan is down there, he remains a sort of, uh, what you know, he, he remains the normal three-dimensionalized Michael Jordan that we're used to seeing. Whereas in this, LeBron yeah. James becomes animated... It, like in the style of the Looney Tunes, but the animation is He's really a tune. the animation is like really wonky and off. But then when they go into the video game, they become sort of three D rendered models of themselves as well. So yeah, there are kind of like three separate dimensions in which the film is operating, and I'd say it works functionally as a movie on none of those levels. But does do, do they ever go turn into claymation? Unfortunately, like, not. Like Harryhausen. Oh, no, that would be. There's cute. no, uh, there's no tribute cool. to Harry has. Is there a puppet bit? <laughs> like, no, there was no like... marionette interval. No, I feel sh- like I would be shortchanged. I would feel shortchanged. I might go and see it. My local cinema. It costs six ninety nine for a ticket. I think it's worth six ninety nine. I just to confuse yourself for. A, a staggering near two-hour runtime, I might add. Two hours? Why are they making kids' films so long? <laughs> but I mean, like, I would say almost no story needs to be told for two hours. There are very few films that I think can justify a two-hour running time, but let alone Space Jam 2, A New Legacy. Having said that, the Tango Ice Blast was so well mixed that it lasted me pretty much the entirety of the film, and it, I didn't get to that stage where it was just sort of, like, flavorless ice. So... Real shout out to the girl who made that. When she offered it, when I asked for one, she said, oh, do, yeah, do you want red or blue? And I kind of looked both ways over my shoulder and with a little smirk, I said, both? And she just kind of shrugged well, and went, a- okay, grand. Like, I thought that I was like what? being this sort of like non-binary trailblazer and she just kind of rolled her eyes like, yeah, every child asks for the combo. You're not special. I thought it was supposed to be a combo. I've never, do you know what? I've never had it. I, I haven't had something like that since the days of Slush Puppy. 
Is it like a slush puppy? It looks like one. <laughs> it's like a slush puppy, but hey, I'll tell you what. This ain't your mama's slush puppy, Jan. It's a slush Doberman. <laughs> yeah, it is a slush Rottweiler. This slush puppy needs a slush muzzle. Slush puppy's back. <laughs> slush puppy's back, and he's fully grown and rabid. <laughs> <laughs> and its fizz is bigger than his bite. Something like that. <laughs> we'll workshop it. Yeah, we'll workshop. We'll keep working on that <laughs> after the podcast. Thinking of, speaking of things that need working on, this week we are talking about the 2005 indie film <laughs> Trans America. That's a strange way to start this off. I thought you largely liked the film. That's the impression I got when you said, oh, I watched Trans America and I fucking loved it. I've never said such a thing. It felt weirdly <laughs> underdeveloped and sort of just like wishy-washy. Here's the thing, right? We've done a good few episodes of this now and we've watched quite a mixed bag of stuff we've seen some stuff that is outrageously offensive and problematic we've seen some stuff that's very empathetic and on the money and i would say this commits the greatest crime of all in that it is a boring queer movie wow we're actually in disagreement for once wow well before we get into what we thought of it i thought i could play the role of little kathy context and just give a rundown of the plot actually before you do that p could i actually do something you're more than welcome you have the floor (sighs) (sighs) this is the voice that i want to use this is the voice that I want to use. Okay, I'm ready. Sorry. (laughs) Carry on. Look, we all start our day lowering our jaw like a fucking python (sighs) looking into the mirror and singing like we're fucking yodeling in order to train our voices. We've all been there as trans women. It's a very well-researched film. Well, actually, P, this is where you're wrong, because that it is this. Okay, so look, before you go on to being Kathy Context, the film, I think, is incredibly, incredibly well-researched, actually. And I'll go into it a bit more later. (laughs) But um, obviously it has some issues. There's things with it that are wrong. But, like, generally, I think the reason why I thought I didn't like this film... And because I haven't seen it in a while, I've seen it before. And in my head, before I watched it, I was like, here we go. I have to fucking watch Trans America again. I remember watching it back when I was younger and being like, oh, I hate this. I hate this. And this time watching it through, I was like, oh, do you know what? I think I get why I hated this now. It's because, like, to me, a lot of it rings really familiar and true in a lot of ways. And I think I genuinely just must have used to find, find it difficult to watch, to be honest with you. But I agree with you. I think it is really well-researched, and I think it does ring true, but I think those details are almost to the detriment of the film. I think uh, Duncan Tucker is so keen on establishing the accuracy in the detail that he never gives Brie a personality throughout it. I mean, look, I'm putting on my little floral Sunday hat, and I'm playing the role of Kathy Context. Go on, then. Here is a plot synopsis. You know I'm going to cut this out anyway. A plot synopsis of the film Trans America for the listener who may not have seen it. A week in advance of her scheduled gender confirmation surgery, transgender woman Brie Osborne, played by Felicity Huffman, learns that she fathered a son years ago prior to transitioning. Toby 
played by Kevin Zegers, now 17 years old and spending time in a juvenile delinquent center for drug and sex work related offenses. Bree's therapist Legend. Margaret suggests Bree's therapist Margaret insists that Bree <laughs> must tie up this loose end in her life before she can be fully approved for her surgery. Traveling from her LA I don't know. Can I just say I don't know if that's how it works. I'll, I will give you that in terms of like inaccuracy. I don't know if a therapist can do that. <laughs> You know, to be one week away from getting your sexual reassignment surgery and then just being like, oh, no, do you know what? Actually, you have to go and like go on a little conveniently timed one week pilgrimage to go and bond with your son before you're allowed to have your Look, dick turned I am all out. out for getting our knives out in a second, but I was actually really in the pocket of playing the role of Little Cat in context, if you'd allow me finish my monologue. <laughs> no, go on, PD, your synopsis, go on. Am I taking from the top or where I left off? Just do it from where you left off. I can edit it. Traveling from her LA home to bail Toby out of jail in New York, Brie poses as a Christian missionary, keeping secret her true identity both as Toby's birth parent and as a trans woman. The pair embark on a cross-country road trip as Brie plans to take Toby to his stepfather's house, but when she learns that Toby's stepfather sexually abused him as a child, Brie takes her son back to Los Angeles with her, stopping off at her parents' home in Phoenix along the way. As the two bond and Toby begins to develop romantic feelings towards Brie, she must find a way to reveal to him who she really is. The film was released in 2005 and it was lauded for its empathetic portrayal of a trans woman. It won a slew of festival gongs. The film won a GLAAD Media Award and several Independent Spirit Awards. Felicity Huffman was nominated for not only a Golden Globe, but an Academy Award for Leading Actress. And it was inspired by conversations writer-director Duncan Tucker had with an intersex former roommate of his, which I thought was interesting. Now, feel free to sound off. Okay, well, firstly... This director, Duncan Tucker, right? I don't know much about him, but what I am going to say is I don't think he should get credit for writing this movie. I don't care if he wrote it, like if he typed it up or whatever. The extent that it is based on the real experiences of trans people and to the point of like, you can tell in it, like it's so, it's so deep and rich with like actual information that he otherwise wouldn't, know anything about i don't really think he should be able to get credit for writing it to be honest yeah but that to me is again i think the problem is that it feels like it's written by wikipedia like i just got no sense of character or personality from it it's just a bunch of information held together with some like sort of hacky tropes about difficult relationships and two unlikely friends and all that sort of stuff you get from any road trip movie well, that is true. But firstly, I do like a road trip movie, okay? Even a bad road trip movie, I like a... I, th- I feel like road trip movies are the perfect genre of movie. Mm. Like, I wish all movies were road trip movies. I think it's, like, the best sort of structure for a film. I love a road movie, um, too. And I thought it was really interesting that this is the second road movie we've covered after Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Can I ask you what your trans road movie would be about? It would be, like... It would basically be a remake of Planes, Trains and Automobiles, but zhuzhed up for like the modern audience so it'd be called like concords <laughs> bullet trains and self-driving cars oh, and it God. would involve me and you it would involve me and up and we are traveling across the united kingdom <laughs> because we have to get home for thanksgiving um a huge holiday in the uk all, yeah 
<laughs> trans Thanksgivings. Transgiving. We're trying to get home for Transgiving. And um, I suppose my big question is, am I the Steve Martin role or am I the John Candy role? You're definitely the Steve Martin role, P. I'm okay 100%. with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, you would be. Because I look I'm good for my John age. Candy one. Yeah, but also I'm the one with the, like, I, like, you're, like, all grumpy on the journey. You're like, ugh, but you come to love me eventually. That does <laughs> when you find out that I've got a tragic backstory. <laughs> yeah, once I, once I <laughs> develop pity for you, I learn to really love you. So look, this film, right, I do, I do admit that it does have a empathetic portrayal of trans people like it definitely does if there's one thing this film is trying really hard to do and where it deserves credit 100% is that it really is trying to give some like even if what you say P is that it does it in quite a dull way to me I feel like that's a fair trade-off to make for it not to be kind of like exploitative too much and not be sort of like weird and stuff like that but that being said, I do remember at the time when it came out, I do, me being old, unfortunately, I remember these things. I remember the conversation that was happening at the time. And, and one of the main conversations around Felicity Huffman at the time was something akin to, oh my God, I can't believe Felicity Huffman is playing this role. Does she know that trans people are ugly? (laughs) That was pretty much what it was sort of about. You know, it was like, wow. It was like Felicity Huffman is so brave for taking on the role of like ostensibly an ugly trans woman. (laughs) Did she take it because she is ugly? Like, does she know that she's ugly? And it was problematic on like so many levels because firstly, obviously trans women aren't ugly. And secondly, Felicity Huffman isn't ugly in the slightest. But But that's what gets you an Academy Award nomination in 2005. Well, to be fair, they do ugly her up, though. <laughs> but <laughs> like, this is the thing. Like they, I think um, with her makeup, they, she it, it's a very empathetic portrayal, as we've said. But with her makeup and the way she sort of carries herself, her, like, you know, the, the sort of turf argument that trans women are just doing an impression of uh, yeah. femininity or performing femininity. This film is almost like a weird reversal of that, that it's a cis woman performing what she thinks a trans woman acts like and to me it almost felt kind of borderline offensive at times the way she sort of like aims to carry herself and augment her voice to be more quote-unquote trans well hold on pete i mean i do i have to pull you up on that a little bit because a lot of the things that are presented in the film are things that trans women do and for example that um that tape series that's shown at the beginning of the film that's a real tape series that's a vocal feminization tapes are a real thing you know that you can have that you can buy and, and do of course and i i myself have done that you know i didn't get my voice sounding like this overnight like i i did do things to change the way i'm perceived and and, and things like that but i do understand what you're saying though because there are bits in it where she is walking around in a manner that I can only describe where that she looks like she shit her pants. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to be Felicity Huffman kind of doing what she perceives to be 
what a man tries to walk like in heels. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like really, really bad. Also, can I just say, the makeup woman on this film, sorry, it might have been a makeup man, but we're living in a world of uh, <laughs> of stereotypes. The makeup person on this film, they, I think they misread the script. And I think they were kind of like, oh, I'm going to make you a, a vampire. <laughs> Is that okay? If I, I'm going to... You know, like all the nice makeup I've got, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do your face white. Is that alright? Just really pale. Yeah, it really looks like Brie has not slept a day in her life. Like she looks yeah. almost <laughs> emaciated and she sort of yeah. like her her fashion sense and everything is so sort of mannered and sort of um in a way sort of sexless. It just there's something really kind of almost creepy about the character and the stylistic choices. I think is more what I'm getting at when I say I'm not I'm not keen on the portrayal. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, she does dress like a like an Avon uh, like door to door salesperson. Yeah, but it know, feels like, like it's not trying to. Woman. It's not making those choices in a way to assert like look at this person who hasn't quite fi- found her style, or look at this person who's a bit you know buttoned up or whatever it feels like it's making those claims in a look at this person who is representative of trans women on the whole but can i just like actually the thing that i was going to say p earlier was that like i do think that that thing that you've noticed which i think is definitely a real thing I, i think the film makes a conscious effort at the beginning of it to present brie in an awkward sort of uh personally uncomfortable unconfident way which to be honest with you again this is where i feel like we're probably in disagreement with the film a little bit is that i feel like if it's intentional i feel like as a metaphor i think that is actually a really interesting good way Mm. to approach the characterization because i think a lot of trans women in particular can empathize with that feeling of feeling out of place, feeling like maybe you have to overcompensate for certain things because you're having a tough time passing or whatever. Um, And also just being like a ball of anxiety. Do you know what I mean? This film certainly made me feel anxious when I was watching it because there's a lot of things that I actually do relate to, in all honesty. But what is interesting, I think, about the film and where I think it actually deserves a little bit of, I don't know, not praise, but like at least analysing is that like, as it goes on, you see Brie become not just more confident with the relationship with her son and all these other things, and with her family and all these kind of things. She becomes more confident in herself. And yeah, it is a little bit more, it's a little bit problematic when the kind of like the reason that she becomes fully herself is after she has her surgery. But I would argue that even before then, even when she's in the back of the pickup truck or whatever, um, or when she's in the car with the uh, the cowboy guy, like, she... They frame her differently then, you know? Like, she's dressed differently. She's got her hair tied back. She is um, laughing more. She's, she's happier. And it looks like all of her anxieties are stripped away. It's the first time that she's dressed normally for her age as well. So it's like... I feel like the film is trying to show a progression through her clothes and her mannerisms to to, to demonstrate that she is changing over time. Yeah. Um, I... But I feel but I feel like I can see why it comes across as 
problematic if but I think like the rest I think you're right in terms of that sort of like sense of her growing and becoming more comfortable and the sort of the tone becoming less anxious within her as the film progresses and as they go on their road trip and as she bonds with her son but to me I think you're giving it a little too much credit ascribing that as a sort of a metaphor or a cipher for the trans experience because to me that just feels like straight out of screenwriting 101 how to write a road movie like to me it feels like it may as well have like fucking salisbury hill by peter gabriel playing in the background like it just has this sort of like really would that be so bad though no i think it would have elevated the movie if anything (laughs) but i i think it just has the it's really of the time like it feels like a sort of like there was this trend at the time I think, of making kind of like unlikely friendship indie movies that then were marketed as big Oscar players. And it it really feels very like mid-naughties to me in that sense. Yeah, and what I will give you, Piers, that like the plot is beyond convoluted. Like it does, like the fact that it takes place within like pretty much a week, it doesn't make any sense. You know, oh yeah, it, it's just, wild. It makes no sense. And the way they just tack because on. Because I emotion- know that trans healthcare is. I know trans healthcare is bad, and I know that it was bad back then too. But I still, <laughs> I can definitely envision a scenario in which a psychotherapist says, "No, I'm not signing you off for a surgery." But I can't envision a scenario where they make you go on like a spirit quest well right right (laughs) for a week before before you get it that margaret her therapist is actually portrayed as like her closest friend and her the fact that she sends her on this little quest is presented as an act of like benevolence and a sort of like a friend you know looking out for her sort of going like no girl you gotta get to know yourself rather than it being sort of you know a gatekeeper being a a fucking yeah She booked her surgery. If, if it, Here's the thing. As someone who's had some surgeries, I can tell you that booking a surgery, you have to do it quite a long time in advance and you have to pay like a quite hefty deposit as well. And if you're a week before your surgery, you ain't going on no spirit quest, right? You're, ch- you're chilling out. You're not supposed to do too much before it either. It's like... But what about... You went to wasn't... Peru and drank all that ayahuasca with the shaman before you got your boobs done, right? I did do that, but it helped. It helped. <laughs> That's the anaesthetic that I requested. Yeah, it's but just I a think... weird movie. It's very convoluted. Yeah, the convolutedness of it, if that's a word, is is the thing, I think. Because it's the way that sort of emotional baggage is tacked on to every character. The way her estranged son is not only her estranged son at age 17. Like, you can kind of imagine what that character would be like anyway. He'd have a lot of internalized anger. They make him, you know, this uh, sex worker, a drug addict. They make him a victim of abuse from his stepfather. Like, it all just feels so heavy-handed in terms of, like, let's just throw everything at this film and see what sticks. I have a a question about um, the boy, Toby. The boy? Uh, The boy. Um, He... Is he not like 40 years old in this movie? <laughs> like he, if not 40, he's not 17. And I know that actors play younger, but he doesn't look 17. He looks like a grown man. Well, yeah, I agree. And it kind of like, it loses a bit of what should be very 
intentional creepiness when he comes on to her towards the end of the movie. And you should feel like, oh no, but he's just a kid. Whereas you're thinking like, it, obviously it's her son, but age-wise you're sort of thinking like, yeah, I mean, there's not that much wrong with it, you know? Yeah, like, it seems like visually all right. But also, um, so he he's supposed to be 17, but he looks 45. And also he acts like a 10-year-old. Yeah, he really like, he does. He acts like an absolute like like he really hams it up in terms of like like I don't, there's a difference between having um emotional immaturity but then also like literally acting like a little baby like and that's what he does he like acts like a little baby yeah when, it's really strange when they're really out on the road it felt to me like a a teacher taking a misbehaving primary school child on a trip on a trip because Bree is dry as fuck and shite crack and toby is this just like you know completely erratic childish sort of not just angry but like you said completely immature sort of 30 year old man child it's a really like it just uh yeah i did not care for this film you are right about brie though like so, like I said before, yeah, I acknowledge that Brie is an empathetic character, but Brie is really fucking dull. Like She's dull so different. dull, like, right? Brie and... has no personality. Yeah, and there's a part where they stop off at a, a, an associate of hers home to stay the night, and there's this sort of um, trans get-together party going on, and we learn that it's this sort of... Uh, sort of network of trans women like almost like a support group type thing and they're planning a cruise and all the other trans women are really joyful and you get a sense that Brie kind of like resents them particularly because at this point in the film Toby doesn't know that Brie is trans and she's kind of like acting like the Christian missionary she's pretending to be and she's sort of like pouring scorn on all of them and Toby's kind of laid back about it and going like I don't know, I think they're nice. And I was thinking, yeah, they are nice. I want to stay in that scene. The movie should be that scene. It should be these trans girls on a fucking cruise together. That's so much more crack than the movie that I am being invited along on. Can I just counter that by saying that actually I think that party looked more like fucking hell on earth. And actually, in my opinion, those trans people at that party... I don't know. I don't know what was going on with that party, Pete. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. That was a weird fucking party. Okay, even if, if you are a trans person and you are cool and you're you're a bit of a partier and stuff, that's one thing. But we don't dance around doing like a fucking jig, like an old timey jig or whatever it is that she's doing in her living room. It's fucking strange. You are talking I, like, to an I, Irish trans woman here. I jig a <laughs> lot, Jen. And but I felt I felt like I, I related to Brie a little bit in that moment because to be fair, like she is around like ten insufferable trans people. Like they're insufferable. I think insufferable. you're being unfair. Like, I wanna see their no, girls trip movie. I felt, no. I felt like Brie like I related to Brie. It felt like when I was at when I was at Pride Festival in like I wanna say <laughs> two thousand and twelve or something right like i was like i wasn't ready for that level of uh of personal confidence yet sure and that's not on the other women that's on brie and that's on the 21 well, it is in this year situation, old they're having a bad they're having a bad party but didn't you i think you're projecting a lot because didn't you tell me that early in your transition you like went to some sort of like trans social get together like 
ladies who lunch and it was all kind of like women in their 50s and you felt uncomfortable yeah i did yeah yeah so i feel like this is tapping into those memories for you but i'm not saying i feel like that now what i'm saying is i empathize with brie because she's like trying to live a stealthy life and she's like barely getting by you know and she's not happy and she's in this situation which is like a nightmare situation like i'll tell you what this film is like i think this film is a horror movie for trans people right like it feels like it feels like it could be remade today in a, in a more interesting like horror way like maybe from an actual trans perspective but it, because the film is like it's like a list of one thing after the other that like you just don't want to happen to you in a week as a trans yeah. person yeah and i it's like it it's like it's traumatic in a way it's like the, the amount of bad things that, that happen in this movie and I fully agree with you. And I think in a better, more altruistic filmmaker's hands, that would either play as this kind of dark farce where the situations just get worse and worse and worse and build in a comedic way. Or, like you said, a kind of psychological social horror thing where it gets more anxious and more horrible as it goes along. Whereas here, it just fucking meanders. Yeah, it does. It is It is a, it is a kind of boring film. and And that's like coming from someone like this is coming from you and you, this is the first time you've seen it and you were kind of bored by it but i have seen it a couple of times and yeah it's fucking boring like it is i admit it is boring but i do um, feel even like visually it's quite dull isn't it like there's not really much going on a lot of aesthetic. brands and beiges in the color palette yeah the great american landscape but i do yeah. want to ask you this is the trans lobby podcast so I feel it would be remiss of me not to ask, Jen, what did you think of the dick reveal in this movie? What, where she's weeing? Yeah. Inside the car. So for the listener, she is, they're on the road and she pulls over to go for a wee and Toby is sitting there in the front seat and catches a glimpse of her dick in the wing mirror of the car. And we only see it for a split second, but it's there and it's a, a notable dick. Are you asking me, like, is this is this a reference to our last episode? Are you asking me what I think of the reveal itself? Are you asking me what I thought of the quality of the dick? You can interpret it however you want. I mean, I'm more talking about <laughs> it in terms of the grand canon and legacy we're building with this podcast. Like, I like the idea that someday someone will go into a library and an archivist will see us as the definitive collection of opinions on trans dick reveals in cinema okay four out of ten four out of ten okay so it's a bear yeah. it's a bear pass why is that and does it does it feed into your secondary opinion about the quality of the dick itself yeah it does it's both things factored in so the quality isn't that high it's too far away secondly <laughs> but if you're gonna do a dick reveal like you gotta do it uh, you can't you can't be coy about it but also um, I don't know. I just didn't like the whole scene. I, f I felt kind of like the, uh, I didn't like Toby's reaction to it. Mm. I don't know. That's like part of the plot, but I just thought that like he was a little bitch about it. Right. Because even at this point, like he doesn't even know that she's his parent. Yeah. yeah and she's, like, been... she's just some, she's just someone who's helping him. Exactly. From like, his perspective, this is some lovely Christian woman who has bailed him out of juvenile detention center and is taking him to a safer space that he wants to go to. Yet now he realizes 
she's trans. And I think it's because he's developed feelings for her by this point that he realizes she's trans and he's sort of acting out against that because it makes him angry. Yeah, he's like, you lied to me. Yeah, and that feeds into what we've been talking about before, about the trope of deceptive trans film. You know, uh, try as it might to dress itself up as an empathetic, mid-naughties, dramedy that won all these festival awards, this is still a movie about a deceptive trans woman at its core. I mean, we as the audience are not the ones being deceived, but she is trying to deceive a character. And yeah, for more wholesome reasons than we've seen in other films, but it's still that trope just spun in a different way. What you mean, like she's trying to deceive him in the way of like, so he doesn't know that she is his parent. That she doesn't know, that he doesn't know she's trans. You know, that it's, it's, and it's not about, you know, whether she chooses to disclose that or not. She's actively trying to keep him from discovering that she's trans. Yeah, yeah. From, but, 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 but that is, but, you know, with so many of these films, you know, if you make a film about a trans person, it has to have some kind of tension in it. And back then that was just like, that was that was the tension point. Yeah, exactly. Film, but know? that's what I'm saying is that it's an easy, it's a trope. It's an easy thing yeah. to... Yeah. to fall back on. I think it's lame, and I think there's far more value in just seeing trans people who are open about being trans live their lives openly. For example, you know, what would it be like if there was a wealthy South Dublin mum who's suddenly thrown into the shark-infested waters of, of the WhatsApp group surrounding her child's primary school mum social circles? Just to pitch something completely off the top of my head, keep an eye on my socials. Okay. Is that something that you're trying to get made at the moment? I'm trying to get made, baby. But look, for every bad thing this film does, I feel like it does something well, you know? I, f- I do feel like it's one of those movies where, like, yeah, it is, like, dull, and it is 50-50, but it's, it's like it does something shitty, and then it redeems itself by doing something that I think is at least well-observed, right? Like, so, for example, Fair. like, one thing that I th- that I thought was pretty good was... There's a bit when they're in a diner and there's like a mother and a little girl sitting in front and the little girl is like staring at her, um, at Brie, while Brie is like just trying to mind her own business. And the little girl's like, are you a boy or a girl, right? Sure. This is something that is like a phenomenon, I think that I have experienced multiple times, especially early on in my transition, which is that it's like... I'm not saying that kids are like these savants that like (laughs) they can see ghosts and they can see trans people. But what I am saying is, is I think they have more time on their hands to look more closely at you and like clock you because they have like no, they have no filter, do they? And they'll just ask you what no one else would ever dare ask you. So I've been in situations where I felt like, and this is a while ago, but like, I felt like, oh yes, I'm passing really well. Like nobody has said anything to me all day. Um, you know, I'm getting by fine. And then a kid has just like been sitting in front of me on the, on the bus and has just totally ruined my day by like asking their mum that exact thing. And it feels really weird at the time because also in this film, Brie doesn't get clocked in that way at all. Well, that's what I thought. I I agree with you. I think it's a really well observed little moment that most trans people, I mean, you and I have both experienced it early in our transition. Most trans people have experienced that where a kid you and will publicly just ask their mother innocently what your gender is yeah and i think that's really well observed but the whole thing about the character of brie and how she's 
sort of couched in the world of this movie is that she passes incredibly well. Like she describes herself as stealth multiple times. So it felt weird to me and out of step with that when this kid then clocks her. Well, she kind of does. But but again, the whole point of casting Felicity Huffman at the time was like, it was this admission that Felicity Huffman is quite androgynous looking or particularly in this movie, right? So it's like... I think the point of it is is that you're supposed to think that maybe she doesn't pass that well. Like if they'd have cast like somebody who who isn't as androgynous looking as Felicity Huffman, who can I just had to say isn't that androgynous looking. Mm. She's like slightly androgynous looking and then they've caked loads of like really pale makeup on her. Um Because all men said, look you know, like is... fucking Nosferatu, right? I mean <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They should do that. They should make like a bride of Nosferatu film. That'd be great. Felicity Huffman's um, Nosferatu. But yeah, I just, I feel like it was like intentional, you know, I, I feel like, again, I feel like that is a, that is a phenomenon. It's like, I think it was trying to say, it was trying to say that like, even if adults don't necessarily notice, a kid will, you know, because kids are more... I mean, look, in that scene, like, the adult literally has their back to Felicity Huffman. So no one is, like, actually looking at her, mm. except for the kid who's, like, staring at her. And I find that's what has happened to me in the past, you know. It's like, they just get a little bit too close for comfort. I just, I think you're just being too hard on the movie. Like, I, I acknowledge that it's, like, boring and, like, a bit But that's dark, why but I'm being hard I, on it. Because there's nothing else I know, going on. If it's but... not even going to be entertaining. Like, it advertises itself as a comedy. I didn't last, laugh once. Where are the guys? Oh, it's not a comedy. But every film was calling itself a comedy back then, wasn't But I it? feel it like, like there's so much... Was trying to get on the like comedy this, It just feels underdeveloped to me. This feels like a draft that could be something really interesting. It feels like they have the skeleton of something that ostensibly works and they've done the hard work of doing the research and putting all the detail in there, but then they haven't fleshed out a single character. Like, particularly when we meet her parents and they're just these archetypes of, like, you know, a sort of, like, a mother who rejects her and the totally henpecked dad and her sister who we get a sense is supposed to be this sort of rebel and they could all be played by sort of like like they are played by great uh, great actors it's fucking Fanula Flanagan plays the mum but she has nothing to do like it feels like these could be these moments for a great character actor to just pop you know like there could be so much comedy in those situations instead of what feels like just dullness building to moments of like really corny melodrama yeah that is true it's like sometimes the film is like grounded to the point of being like so grounded that it's boring and then other points like this it's like the characters are like ridiculous stereotypes like when we were talking about um pose you know when we were talking about that scene where they're like get out of my house no gay son of mine it's like like it's very sure. much like that but again but again that's why i feel like it's trying to be like a trans nightmare because <laughs> the way that her parents are are kind of like like okay so with the mum i completely acknowledge that it is an extremely broad performance okay it's not believable it's kind of stupid and I don't really understand her character's motivation. She doesn't seem like a real person. That being said, just to just to give the film a little bit of credit, I think that the way that she reacts to some of the things and some of the things that she says are quite in line with how trans people perceive their parents and the reactions they have. So, for example, I think that the way that she makes everything about her 
is a well-observed point that is transmitted broadly for a broad audience in that, right? In the sense, there's that line where she says, why are you doing this to me? And then Brie says, I'm not doing anything to you, you know? Mm. This is my life. I feel like that's something that trans people, you know, feel. And I felt it when I was watching it. I did. Like, I was like, okay, I get that this is dumb, but also it feels like... I got it to the point so much that after the film, I googled who wrote this film because I wanted to see if a trans person had, if it was based on a book or something by an actual trans person, because it felt like there was enough well-observed information within it that made it feel to me like real in a way, much more so than other films that I've seen that even purport to be like based on things by trans people, like I, the Danish girl and stuff, which I think is, which we'll get onto another time, but I think that sucks as a representation. But I feel like this has, it has a it has a, a layer of authenticity to it that I can't help but relate to. I take your point and I counter with the fact that after not having seen her child for what we're led to believe might be years upon years, she reaches out, grabs her dick, then smiles and says... He's still my son. And I don't think that's meant to be a comedy beat, even in a problematic, outdated movie. Well, I do actually have that listed on my notes to talk about. <laughs> don't think I forgot about um, He's Still My Boy. He's Still My Boy. Is that <laughs> that is, uh, is, 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 he's still a boy. She goes, he's still a boy. Um, yeah, that is disturbing. That, that is a bad scene because again, again even i could the entire character <laughs> i could forgive that more if it was played for like laughs in a sort of crass offensive way because at least i could see what they're trying to do whereas with this it's like they're just trying to show like you said the, the horror of it all and it's gross and uncomfortable but as i said though but as i said it's like it does one thing right, it does one thing wrong. It's almost like a yin and yang situation we're in here with this film. It's like, like you would like to say, P, in your pretentious way, it's very much a Faustian bargain with this film. <laughs> you get every good thing, you get a would really Would I say thing. that? Yeah, you fucking would, P, actually. Would I say that at my New Yorker cocktail parties where I'm cozying up to Steve Martin, telling him how I'm actually going to be starring in a trans reimagining of planes, trains and automobiles soon? <laughs> Let me tell you another bit that I thought was like, again, broad, but well observed, was the bit when they're out for dinner, okay? And then there's this awkward situation, there's this moment when Bree's mum kind of won't uh, start dinner or won't sit down until Bree pulls out the chair for her, right? And I just thought that was really interesting. I thought it was an interesting way of showing how sometimes we slip back into these, like, weird family dynamics. I... And it shows... What? I, I have that in my notes, too. I was just going to say, I think that's one of the stronger pieces of writing in the film in terms of show, don't tell. And I like the counter to that then, that after Brie is forced to do that, when she goes to sit down, Toby then pulls out Brie's seat for her. And I... I yeah, I think it's nice. Yeah, you know? I think I think there is some good stuff in there. But as I said, though, it is done very broadly. It's not the most subtle thing in the world that they're doing. But I do feel like the film isn't, you know, like, in fact, we could say this for probably all of the films that we cover up to a certain point is that, like, I don't think these films are made for trans people at all. You know, I feel like they're made almost like as educational films for normies. Right. And it's kind of like, I feel like a lot of these films back then were kind of like 
attempts to plead with the public to be like, please, like, we know these people are freaks, but don't hate them too much, right? I think think you're, you're, you're being too kind even framing it as that. I feel like this is a very cynically made film, albeit with empathy, but I feel like it is someone sitting down identifying, like, who is a you know, societally outcast minority group that I can get a great actor to play and then maybe it'll make my little festival film into a, an awards contender. To me, it feels really calculated in terms of, like, how is this going to be marketed and what kind of film I'm making. It does have some trans people in it, though. Sure, yeah, and it's to to its credit. Like, and, and it is drawn with empathy and it's well-observed. I'm not saying anything about... Um, about the tone of the film i just think the initial inception of it feels like it's coming from a more cynical business-like place than a uh but i don't but i don't agree with that i don't think it to me it doesn't feel like that especially in the writing of it it doesn't because it because there are so many written moments in it there's so many points of dialogue and things in there that that just don't need to be in there and what i mean by that is is like you can still achieve everything that you say they want to achieve cynically. They could still do all those things without including other things that they seem to care about. For example, like, there's this whole bit where, you know when they meet, like, the peyote shaman guy? Oh, my God. If we're talking about broad caricatures, the peyote shaman can fuck right right. off. But, yeah. But but, But I do want to say that there's a point when they're sitting on the rocks, right, and... I think it's quite a nice interchange where, like, it's the first time that Brie has somebody not treat her like a piece of shit after finding out that she's trans, right? They're in the car and, you know, the the boy, Toby, is, like, trying to kind of hurt her again by telling this stranger that she's a man, is what he says, or that she's got a dick or whatever. And then he says, he's like, he says something like, oh, actually, I think uh, trans people are... A rebellious like you know what i mean like, he says something like that he says yeah but he's been, like, he's uh, been framed as this sort of like kooky weirdo who who then like uh, yeah, 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 yeah. robs their but, car but and all their money like we're not mm. to, to, we're no, not no, no, supposed no, to listen. take his view as as positive well actually at this point in the film you don't know that that's what he's gonna do okay spoiler alerts p but but then but that's own that's not even the point i'm talking about that leads to a point when they're sitting on the rocks and then she is now feeling good about herself and she's sort of like waxing lyrical about like the history of trans people, right? And she's saying like, oh, you know, in Native American cultures and all this and all that, like people have been accepted and like it's a known thing and like uh, two-spirit and all that kind of stuff. She's she's literally like giving the, the audience like somewhat of a very quick, brief education of ideas that even today people don't really talk about that much right and i just feel like it's little things like that 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 are totally unnecessary for the film to be as cynical as you think it is but actually like it felt very much it felt really authored to me it felt like there was a point to those moments like they were in there to make a point and and say something like i don't think the film is as cynical as you think it is well i would counter that by saying is it a way of educating the audience or is it a way of planting a seed so that they can have a native american guy come in in the next scene and have a crush on brie and I'm not I saying I just think you're I, too cynical. I think the film is is made with empathy. I think it's it, I, that's the one thing I will say in its favor. I think that it is well observed and it's written with empathy. I'm just making the point that I think the initial concept is cynically uh, 
is cynically conceived. Like I can imagine the writers sitting around going like, oh, what's the sort of, you know, a, a buzzy thing that I can write something about that'll get people talking. And then once he has the idea, he sits down and he writes it with empathy because he's uh, he writes with craft. And that's fair, I think. I'm not disagreeing with, with a lot of your points, but I'm just reiterating my point that it's more about the inception of the film's concept than the execution that I think is cynical. Yeah, I suppose so. But the thing is, is like, I don't think any film about this topic would ever get made in that in those days if it, if it wasn't trying to be a little bit like Oscar Beatty. Well, that's know? very like, good fact, point. All... And I think that's where I have to be a little Kathy context again, because I think it's really interesting that this is the same Oscars year as Brokeback Mountain. And famously, Brokeback Mountain was like everyone's pick that year for best picture. But it doesn't win. Why? Because it's about two gay guys, not even two cis white guys fucking on screen was an acceptable idea at that point in society. So the idea that a movie about a trans character could be made on its own terms, like it's kind of a miracle that the movie is as empathetic as it is. Well, here's something that we haven't talked about, and I'm surprised because I thought we would have talked about it like really early on, but like how unusual it was to have a film where a cisgender woman played a trans character it's like totally like okay it's not as um revolutionary as having an actual trans person play the role i get it but we we still have to talk about the time that this film was made Mm -hmm. when it came out it was a real talking point you know like it was a real thing that was like whoa like it hadn't really occurred to people that um, a a cisgendered woman could play a trans woman because that in itself is a political statement, even if it's cynical, even if you're saying that, like, that choice was made because it was, like, a quirky thing that's never been done before, fine, I accept that, right? But at the same time, it is also a political statement because it's saying... It's not saying it very loud, but it definitely is saying, to some degree, a a trans woman can be played by a cisgender woman... Because essentially it's saying trans women don't look as bad as you think they do. Or trans women are closer to cis women than you give them credit yeah. for. And I'm talking about like audiences at the time. You're right? dead right. It's even even floating that idea that it's possible was like a big thing at the time. Yeah. I was like, oh, that never occurred to me. You know, a cisgender actor could play a trans woman. Because the the, the zeitgeist and the, and the general um, like uh, public consciousness at the time was... Trans women are uh, weird men in dresses. It is quietly whispering the affirmation, trans women are women. And you have to give it credit for that. And to me, it does feel like a cultural moment in terms of when you look back at the history of trans representation on screen, that it feels like a significant stepping stone between men being critically lauded for sympathetic portrayals of trans women to where we are now, where trans people are finally getting to actually play trans people. It feels like this film is a really important cultural stepping stone between those two places. And I, and I think Felicity Hoffman, I, I don't know what you think about her performance, but I think she's quite good in the sense that I get the impression that, you know, obviously I haven't seen the outtakes and I haven't seen <laughs> what's going on on set and stuff, but what I would say is from what comes across in the film she at least looks like someone who's giving it a good go. You know, she's she's not playing it. Maybe in the early scenes when they said, oh, walk around like you shit your pants a little bit. Like, okay, 
fine. But after that point, she's very much playing the the part as a woman. I would say I, I don't I don't I think the, get the impression. I think the essence of her. She's per- doing it mean. I think the essence of her performance and the interior stuff she's doing is quite strong. And I certainly think it's coming from a place of empathy. And I do think she's playing it with the intention of trans women or women at the center of her performance. But it's the physicality, it's the outward manifestation of what she's doing that I have a problem with. Like you said, the walking like she's shit herself, the awkward way she carries herself. Like I said at the top, I feel like it's a weird impression of a trans woman. And I will accept that in 2005, this was a very progressive portrayal. And at its core, I do think that essence is still there. But for me, it just feels a little bit shaky. Well, can we at least uh, entertain the possibility that maybe the character of Brie has shit herself? (laughs) (laughs) That was me doing The Entertainer, because I'm going to entertain that idea. Call me Scott Joplin and consider your idea entertained, Jen. It would be a pretty ambitious sort of like, character choice wouldn't well it? now that so you've said like... that jen i think i like this film because if you approach this film <laughs> as the simple story of a woman attempting to bond with her estranged son all the while, while having, having shit, herself. shit herself to me that is a home run pitch that far eclipses yeah. the movie we've actually watched I-, I wanted to ask about um this Native American love interest. Calvin because... Many Goats. Can we just sit with that name for a moment? <laughs> yeah, but but what I want to say is about Alvin Many Goats is that this is an example of a of a of a bit of the film where I feel like it was a misstep in the sense of like and it's only a minor thing, but I just feel like it's it kind of sat wrong with me a little bit in the way that like I think they were trying to say something that they thought was profound with this relationship. And I don't think it's as profound as they think it is. But basically what I got from it, and I might be wrong, I might be missing the point on this. But the way they portray him as a Native American man who dresses like a cowboy uh, and sort of acts like a cowboy and is big into cowboy culture, but ultimately knows that he's not a cowboy is uh i think a little bit of a misstep do you know what i mean i agree this character didn't sit well with me and it it was at this point in the film that it hit me that the movie is called trans america and it's not just trying to tell a story about a trans person traveling across america it's trying to make a cultural statement about america and i think the character of calvin many goats who longs to be a cowboy is at the center of that that it's trying to get at this idea of uh, america as america as a cultural entity do you know what i mean that it has the native american the native of this land but he wants to be the the you know the white man who suppressed his people like you said and i think that's where it doesn't really know what it's trying to say, but it's very consciously yeah. trying to to be sort of the great American road movie in that sense. It's trying to offer 
a comment not just about trans people living in the world, but specifically America. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's like I feel like it's one of those things that like could have been interesting if they'd have given it like more thought and actually commented on it more. But actually what I think they probably did is they probably thought they probably had it in the script of like, oh, and then Brie meets this rugged cowboy in a bar and he falls in love with her, right? And then like on the third read through they were like, wait a minute, what if this cowboy was a Native American? Yeah, I get. And they were like, "Yeah, that's like a that's like a um, an allegory for like like what's going on with Brie or whatever." And it's like, "Yeah, that does, I don't really I don't really know about that," you know. Well, exactly. And then we get into the idea of tropes again because this character is essentially a magical figure. You know, he comes in when they've broken down on their road trip, and he brings them to safety, and he fancies Brie, and he sort of affirms her as a woman in that sense and makes her feel good and then he just goes about his merry way never to be seen again and the idea of making the native american character the sort of magical figure magical narrative device in this film that's trying ham-fistedly to make some point about identity in contemporary america feels problematic to me yeah yeah although he does give her his number yeah, sure. Fair play to Calvin, not just a chaser. Well, he doesn't actually know, does he? There's no, there's no, there's no moment where they're like, "Oh, by the way, I'm trans." Like, it, you could imagine a scenario in which that it all goes a bit wrong, you know? Yeah, at least we didn't get that. At least we didn't get that sort of yeah. problematic dick reveal. Yeah, that's true. We just got a little bit of wee coming out of a, a standard uncut six incher. <laughs> Four out of ten, Jen <laughs> So then, P, excuse me, let me just be Kathy Context for a moment here. You may put on <laughs> your Kathy Sunday Context. best hat and play the role of little Kathy Thank Context. You. So then, like, uh, Brie is, like, at her mum's and that and dad's, and, like, um, her son Toby comes into her room and tries to incest her you back really to the future does. style. Yeah, and she's like, whoa, 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 stop it, you're my boy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, like, that's the thing that forces you're my her, boy. that's the thing that forces yeah. her to come clean about the fact that this is her child, because try as she might keep yeah. everything secret, she does not want to fuck her son. No, although at times it kind of looks like she kind of does. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There's a bit when like they're running naked into the water and she gets a peek. She, like, looks back behind her, like, oh, I'm going to look at his bum. It's my son. I'm looking at his bum. Well, this is the thing. I found all those scenes where they're sort of bonding on the road sort of awkward because on the one hand, he's obviously yeah. been told to play it in terms of you're becoming infatuated with this older woman who's your savior, and she's been told to play it with, you know, you're delighting in the fact that you're finally bonding with your son. And rather than coming across as clearly communicated, those two things just clash in a way that's uncomfortable and creepy. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not great. It's just like there could have been a better way probably for their relationship to blossom. I, I don't, I, I feel like that the, the I, I don't feel like them hooking up 
is like the inevitable course for their relationship. I feel like that's something that was put into the script to be like, this would be kind of funny, wouldn't it? And then she'd have to tell him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. It almost feels like they're writing themselves into a corner. Like it feels like a very convenient out. It's almost the sort of deus ex machina type situation. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Nerd. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen Adaptation. You're a screenwriter. You know what the term deus ex machina means. <laughs> but I, but again, though, I like the bit at the end. I like it when she has her surgery. And I like that scene where her best friend and psychotherapist, <laughs> for some reason, um, comes in to see her and she cries and she's upset about um, what's happened with her son. I just think it's like a sweet scene. I think it's kind of sad. And again, that's a moment where I think Felicity Huffman plays it really well. I think she's doing a good bit of acting in that scene. Uh, it's like, I like it when you see someone in, in any film who's doing like a horrible cry. You know what I mean? Like sure. a, an actual, like, yeah, but to me, that again, snotty nosed cry. Yeah, but that just felt like, okay, this is the Oscar money shot. I can imagine them on set saying that out loud. And I was so pissed off with Margaret, the therapist, stroke shit friend at this stage, for sending her on this ridiculous emotional blackmail journey before she could get her surgery that I didn't want to see her yeah. consoled by Margaret. But I did like, and I think this is relevant to, again, the canon of Trans Lobby podcast. It's our first post-surgery vag reveal. We get to see her relaxing relaxing in a bath uh, by herself, just uh, having having a little rub of her vag. What did you think of that? (laughs) She does do that. She's like, I think it's supposed to be sometime in the future because... Although it's not clear because, like, at first when it comes up... Like, they play with time in a really weird way, like, in the sense that, like, the whole film is, like, set within a week, right? But then, like, the last scene, it just jumps forward, like, what I'm assuming is about a year. And it really confused me at first because my first instinct was when I saw her vagina (laughs) in the bath, I thought... I was like, that's not a freshly made vagina. (laughs) I was like, that's... I was like, that's... There's too much hair on that vagina. (laughs) Yeah, Felicity goes full bush, which again speaks to her brave performance, right? Yeah, I was like, I was like, she can't be having a bath like that that soon after surgery, (laughs) surely. Where's her dilator? Where is it? (laughs) If I may now take the the floral sun hat from your head and play the role of little Kathy Context again, I think the timeline is that the film is set majority the majority of it is set sometime in summer and then that last sort of uh, epilogue scene is set at christmas time yeah but they make that clear after that scene but what they should have done just to make it clear for the viewer is they should have put a christmas tree in the bathroom and maybe some baubles in the bath and then i would have known just her rubbing herself off to white christmas <laughs> Yeah. But I got, I mean, in oh, the... the weather outside is fretful. She's just like rubbing her vagina. Can I posit you with a possibility that that, that scene in that Fan film theory. of Felicity with her vagina out um, was a contractual obligation put to the filmmakers by Felicity Hoffman's people that, she, that they have to show her fully nude so the audience knows a hundred percent that she's all woman jen i'll tell you something 
you have had a go at playing Kathy Context this week, and you're really enjoying yeah. yourself, aren't you? <laughs> but what do you think about that as a theory? I think that that kind of holds water, to be honest. That sounds about right to me. Yeah, because I can imagine that an actor at the time would be like, oh, but what if, you know, I want to do it because it's like, I might get an Oscar, but what if people come away from it thinking I'm a man? It's like, and then the agent's like, you got to show them, you got to show them some bush, Kathy. You got to. <laughs> well, Pete, I mean, that's the film. That's the whole film, pretty much. It's a happy ending. Right you know, she, she, she bonds with her kid. He comes back and he gets his cowboy hat back and then they're friends again. She opens a beer for him, as only a real a true man can, and then it ends. Yeah. And what a dull little journey it was. Thanks for listening to our review of Transamerica, everyone. Now, to the little detail of admin. I love admin. It's my favourite. <laughs> first things first, Piss Pig of the Week goes to... Charlie O'Hara from the Discord. Well done, Charlie. And Charlie will be sent one of our, well, two of our brand new printed Piss Pig stickers, which we have in our possession now, and we kind of knocked it out out of the park on these guys. I'm not going to lie. If you want to get your hands on a sticker, you can join the Discord, find the link on our Twitter, or send us an email, engage with us on social media and maybe you'll uh, find yourself in possession of a nice little sticker sooner or later and i can't stress that this is a completely free deal no money down ever just for this right now one day we're gonna sell these stickers so you want to get in while we're giving them away all right send us your address you'll get no spam mail you're gonna get some free stickers what more do you want you nothing's free nowadays hop what in, are you waiting for hop into the piss pig pen Leave a review on iTunes. Give us a rating. It helps algorithmically. I don't know anything about computers, but I'm told it's a big help. And you will get a completely 100% free, 100% authentic Piss Pig sticker to denote that you are indeed a little healthy Piss Pig. How about, how about this, P? Uh, the best iTunes review... Yeah, it's a sticker. <laughs> I love and, it. And his pig's pig of the week. And his piss pig of the week next week. Manipulative, manipulative as fuck. I love it. Best <laughs> iTunes review. Yes. Gets a sticker. Gets to be piss pig of the week next week. Now it's called marketing, loser. <laughs> now to the assigned email at birth feature, and we have a question in our mailbag. From a lovely male, Mr. Jeremy, friend of the pod, who wants to know, what is the first time you remember seeing a trans person on film or TV? I don't know if this counts, but it's a really early memory for me. And I feel this is almost a cliche for trans women. But the 1956 Chuck Jones, Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny short, What's Opera Doc, when Bugs Bunny gets dressed up as Brunhilde at the end of the short. And I feel like 
we can count that as trans representation, right? It, Bugs Bunny isn't just a crossdresser. Bugs Bunny is at least genderqueer. And I remember seeing that I... as, like, a three-year-old and something stirring deep within me and thinking, yes, I identify with this smart mouth, opera singing, rabbit dressed like a Valkyrie. Well, I mean, I'll give it to you, but I don't think that was the point of the question. I mean, you know my feelings on Bugs Bunny. You know that I feel the same way as you do, and you know that I intend on getting a Bugs Bunny tattoo soon. But Jan has a I think the audience want to know Bunny. who the actual, who, who an actual trans person on, like that you saw was, because Bugs Bunny. Okay, well the first. I've never seen Bugs Bunny's timeline. I've never seen Bugs Bunny on hormone. Therapy. The first cannot the first uh, sort of canonically trans character that was played by a cis woman that I definitely remember seeing was Haley Cropper in Coronation Street, which was a startling, startlingly sympathetic portrayal for the time. And I remember that being on on the TV. The rest of my family all watched Coronation Street, and them all liking Haley, thinking she was just a lovely woman, part of the community in Weatherfield, and me thinking, oh maybe. Someday I can transition. So thank you to Carnation Street, thank you to ITV, thank you to Haley Prop. Okay, that's a nice one. My one is a real person who actually was alive and isn't a fictional character. Always one Mine. <laughs> Mine is uh, Nadia Almada, darling. Um, she was the first real, like, not the first trans person I ever saw, probably. But definitely the first one that I ever saw that I thought, oh, trans women can be like cool and funny and mad and actually like the public can like them to the extent that they can win a national competition. Honestly, like it blew my mind, even though the the papers were cruel and people generally talking about Nadia in the playground and stuff like and at home, it was it was like, oh, my God, do you know that's a man? That being said, Nadia looked so good and was so much herself that I just found her the most inspiring person ever. Yeah, I... She was, like, nuts. I was not a Big Brother viewer, but I even remember seeing clips of Nadia and just thinking, like, oh, this woman is full of life, I'm partying with her. And again, having that sense of affirmation of, oh, maybe it'll all be okay for me. Did you know that I made a Nadia Almada t-shirt? Like when you were a little kid. <laughs> no, I didn't know how to make t-shirts when I was a little kid. This was like a year ago. <laughs> but I printed my own design and made a Nadia Almada t-shirt. And if the people on Discord want to see it, I will post it to the Discord and you can have a look. I'm pretty proud of it. It's a good tea. That is kind of dope as fuck. And yeah. if people want to join the Discord, the Piss Pig Pen... Just drop us an email at translobbypod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter or Insta at translobbypod. You can find me at pdinny, P, like the vegetable, D-I-N-N-Y. Jen, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jen Ives Comedian or my website, jenives.net or my Patreon, patreon.com slash genives and hello to the new patrons that i've got since the last podcast i don't know if it's to do with the podcast probably not but still welcome to my realm <laughs> and jen is there the small matter of an edinburgh show you would like to 
there is. Uh, I think I plugged it last time, didn't I? But yeah, I but plug it again. you know, you got to keep plugging. I'm, Marketing is rapid. I'm going. I'm going to Edinburgh. Uh, and I'm coming <laughs> too. <August>. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna both be in Edinburgh. How crazy is that? You can maybe expect a uh, maybe a special episode. What do you think, Pete? I don't know. I think if we touch, we explode. Is that not how these things work? <laughs> I think it is, yeah. Um, but anyway, so the dates for my show, Peak Trans, is... Uh, what is it, P? <laughs> it's like 13th, 14th... No, no. 14th, 14th to the 17th. 16th. 14th to the 17th at 4.30 at the dining room at the Gilded Balloon. Please come. It's going to be good. It's people... Are, People are talking about the show. They're saying how good it is. You've got to come and see it for yourself. Um, it rules already, and it's only it. going to get better and better and better. And hey, I'm going to be in the audience every freaking day of the run. So you can even meet me, your favorite hero. Oh, oh my God. God. They could get a photo with both of us. The things we dream of. <laughs> Okay, P. Well, look, this has been fun. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go now. Bye. Bye, everyone. Love you. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.